And I remember I showed it to one of my friends and they were like, that's fantastic. And I knew then, like, even though for me, I was still like, I still think it could be better. That was sort of, that moment actually was the proudest moment. Hi and welcome to another episode of Video Talks where we talk to creators, movers and shakers in the worlds of video, film and marketing and we look at how businesses can use video to their advantage. Today we're talking to a guy called Will Shears who's a young director uh, and he's found his niche in documentary filmmaking. So I spoke to Will at the start of the coronavirus lockdown in the UK. Uh, So some of what we say is relevant to that time, but I think all of what we say is relevant to what we're we're all experiencing post-lockdown. And as a young filmmaker, Will's experience is different to somebody who's quite versed in what they do. And it's actually quite relatable for any young aspiring filmmakers out there as Will has achieved quite a bit so far in his career. He's only 23 and through passion and ideas and that idea realisation and finishing projects, he's really achieved things, I think, that that anyone could if they put hard work into it. So I'll let you uh, enjoy the interview And please subscribe if you haven't done so. I don't want to have to ask, but it would really help with ratings and rankings, etc. Okay, so let's get into it. Run VT. I'm thrilled today to introduce my guest, Will Shears. Will, are you ready to talk video? I am. Thanks for asking me to come on this. I'm, I'm excited. It's a pleasure to have you. Will Shears is a filmmaker based in Brighton on the south coast of the UK. In 2009, Will released the documentary Europe in a Tuk Tuk, which has gone on to be shown at numerous festivals and won Best Documentary at the Ribbon of Dreams Festival. The documentary is now available to watch on Amazon Prime Video. Um, He's just starting work on his latest project, which is a documentary about uh, the situation that we're all in the middle of right now, it's uh, it's April the 2nd, 2020, um, and he's making a documentary about coronavirus and how people around the world are dealing with it. So, um, Will, I've given our audience a brief overview of your, of your background and of your projects. Uh, could you expand a little and give us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, first of all, thanks for having me on this. I'm really excited. In 2019, I, um, I graduated from university. Um, I studied politics at the University of East Anglia. And when I was um, studying there, I got really into making documentaries and making videos for both like my YouTube channel and also bigger projects such as the Tuk Tuk documentary. Um, so I worked with sort of a lot of different companies sort of I worked with the European Parliament on making them a promotional video where I went to Brussels and I filmed like seeing the city and then that went on their Facebook page and sort of everything rolled on from that which led to me being asked to go and make this documentary about an Indian tuk-tuk driving around Europe and the documentary is now available to watch on Amazon Prime and in the documentary we sort of come across all of these weird situations we find ourselves spending the night at a Soviet prison 
we get, end up doing this convoy shoot with these supercars and we were pale and it's, it ends up being the most ridiculous story um but a lot of fun and we and i end up making that documentary while i was studying at university for the last year i've been doing freelance projects working in london and brighton and i'm now in a place where with the whole coronavirus situation all like freelance sort of creative work has in a way dried up so um, I thought, well, I want to do a project that I can look back at this time and go, oh, I made that. Okay, cool. So, Will, this podcast is called Video Talk. So please, can you give our audience an insight of how moving image is working for you and your projects at the moment? So I think that documentaries are sort of, I love telling documentaries. I love using video um, to sort of show that, show stories. Um, and I think you get so much more from seeing like someone's reactions on their face um, and sort of seeing them like, are they happy? Are they sad? And it sounds really simple, but being able to show those expressions and then using video to really expand on that expression um, that that person might be showing. So whether you're trying to make your, and you make your audience sort of really sympathize with someone or make them not, I think, Moving images sort of such a fantastic way to grab your audience and be able to make a story that sort of can really resonate with, with everyone. And that's what I found through my own projects is that when I've like gone on the recently, I made a video about motorcycling in the Himalayas and making that project. The thing that I most loved was I got on a motorbike and I sort of started to drive we went over this really high pass and we didn't know where we were heading we had went down this like we were started we were on the border of Pakistan and India and we were driving down this road and we we're getting to the Pakistan border and I don't know if you know but the Pakistan border and the Indian border is one of the most like complex borders in the world and we didn't really know what would happen when we got to this town um right on the border of um, India and Pakistan. It's called Turtak and it's right in the middle of the Himalayas. First of all, I need to describe to you what this town is like. This town is sort of pristine, it's green, it's beautiful. And it's sort of like in the middle of this Himalayan desert. So it's all sort of sandy, but because all the glacial waters flow down, you get this sort of green, lush, bottomless area. And um, all I knew is that I wanted to have a story to be able to tell that used video when I came to this village. And so we got to this homestay and I sort of started talking to the homestay owner. Like, fortunately, he spoke English. And I was telling him about, like, oh, I love making films. I've got a camera in my bag and I want to make a film about getting to this town called Turtak. And he said, oh, well, you must talk to my uncle. Homestay owner sort of walks us to where his uncle's living, which is like 100 metres from the homestay house. Um, in this town called Turtak, everyone has fields. So each house will have a few fields. And there are all these green lush fields. And then the house will be in the middle of the field. And he knocks on the door and, and the uncle comes out. And he also speaks English. So he gets his sort of plastic chair and dumps it in the middle of his field. And he said, is this an all right place to do an interview? And I'm like, there isn't a better place you could do this interview. And basically, his he starts saying how he hasn't seen his family who lived 10 kilometers away in Pakistan for the last um, 40 years. And you can really see, and this comes back to your point about why moving image is so important, because you can really mm. see that pain on his face about mm -hmm. like when he was talking about this. You can see his emotion to not being able to see his family. Mm. But then he talks about how recently they've been able to connect again through using WhatsApp. 
and cool and stuff. And the joy that comes up on his face is so like fantastic. And it was such a like powerful story that really made me, it really sort of connected sort of deep down, sort of being able to have that conversation with this guy who lives in the middle of nowhere, um, talking about how he can't see his family and he hasn't been able to see them for 40 years because over one night, the border went from being Pakistani to Indian. I just thought like being able to film that and being able to show that and show his emotion on his face as he was telling me that story was so interesting. Um, and like for me, that's why I love using moving image because you really see that expression and that emotion on people's faces. That was a great story. Yeah. What, um, where can people see that film? It's on my, um, it's on my YouTube channel, actually. I, I released it in February. Um, it's called How to Motorcycle the Himalayas. So YouTube, if they go on YouTube and YouTube, How to Motorcycle the Himalayas. Uh, William Sheard, and it should pop up if YouTube's doing its job. Cool, good SEO on on uh, on YouTube as well. Always put a how to at the start of it. Absolutely. Um, what? So, just briefly, what did you want to do when you were growing up? Did you know that you were heading in in a filmic direction? For ages, I think. Well, it's weird because um, for ages when I was at like secondary school and sixth form I wanted to be a fighter jet pilot but then like there was a youtuber um called Casey Neistat oh yeah and I think it was in 2010 and I remember I saw one of his videos um and I loved the fact that he literally just got some cardboard and animated and it was before like he did all of these vlogs of these sort of like his daily vlogging and stuff it was ages before that but he sort of would precisely sort of he did like a whole tv series um that was like really carefully crafted and animated all with just stuff that you can do at home and i remember watching that and at the same time i still wanted to be a pilot at that that time and then i watched it and i thought oh i'm gonna have a go at seeing if i can make a little sort of stop motion animation video like that um so i was um i had a play around and i i really enjoyed it and i realized that i was really bad at maths um, but I really enjoyed making this sort of little three minute video, even though the sort of the hours you put into making that stop motion video meant, and it was only seen by like your mum and your dad, like, and maybe your gran. But it was making that project and sort of making a story that I just really loved. And I realized, well, that's kind of what I want to do instead of be a fighter jet pilot. So I stopped the, stopped the ambition of being a fighter jet pilot. And um, yeah, that's how the idea of wanting to get into making videos. So, so Casey Neistat, possibly one of the biggest YouTube um, influencers in the business, right? Yeah. Didn't stop you from continuing your flying ambition, though, right? No, 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 no. Um, I still, I, 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 I got into gliding and I I became, I got solo gliding. So, um, yeah, I've, I, d- I did manage to, I did manage to sort of like achieve my goal of becoming a pilot, I guess you could say. Um, I, I'm hoping after this, all this stuff all blows over and that the gliding club is open again, I could get my um, gliding, this gliding license. And I will then also be qualified to be a commercial drone pilot. So that would be, be two eggs in one basket because I could get to fly for fun and also fly and film drone footage as well, which would be amazing. 
Nice. I think hopefully you've just converted a lot of people into gliding. Yeah, take it up. Go and do it. Cool. Um, so your proudest moment so far? I think my proudest moment is definitely releasing Europe in a Tuk Tuk, which was a documentary I made um, last year. Um, so it probably took, it took the post-production process sort of took quite a while just because I was doing it while I was studying at university um, and we had hours and hours of footage. We'd overfilmed like so much and so much of the footage wasn't usable. Your first edit, I think my first edit of the Tuk Tuk documentary was like an hour and a half. And I remember watching the um, edit um, and I was the only person who could make sense of it. And I remember I showed it to everyone else and everyone else was like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. And I remember being absolutely gutted. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, this is, this is soul destroying. I spent sort of a solid month on this edit. Everyone is looking at me going, this is rubbish. <laughs> uh, and, but you need like your amazing friends to tell you that. So then I was like, right, okay. Sort of spent another month sort of doing another edit. And people were like, it's a little bit better, but you know, you can definitely make something that works even more. So I remember then I had like a few months break from it. And it, it was literally when I had all of my, I think, I don't know why, but it was when I had all of these summatives for my final year of university, but being able to escape and get to edit the Tuk Tuk documentary just made me focus on the narrative so much that I then ended up coming up with this edit and getting it, at, sort of finishing it. And I remember I showed it to one of my friends and they were like, that's fantastic. And I knew then, like, even though for me, I was still like, I still think it could be better. That was sort of that moment actually was the proudest moment. And it, even afterwards, just releasing the documentary was incredible. We sort of had a whole sort of press campaign for releasing it. We were on sort of both BBC and ITV talking about it and had like the whole university backing us. And there was the day after that I made the documentary and I went into my university and everyone on the campus had watched it. And it was just such a, like, a fantastic feeling, sort of people who you don't know coming up to you and being like, oh, I watched the documentary. I love that moment in it. And like that, for me, was the most rewarding thing that's happened to me so far. So the, the fact that people had watched this 35-minute doc and they then sort of found a moment that was specifically good for them just was a really good feel-good moment for me. Amazing. So, Will, um, that's brilliant. How would somebody in a similar position who maybe they've got a they've got a film sitting there, um, perhaps they've only done one cut of it, perhaps they've done a couple. How would you go about how how what would you advise those people to do next if they want to kind of push this film a bit further? Well, first of all, I think the like the first cut. Like, I remember being told this with the documentary and someone being like, you've done your first cut. Like, that's the best, that's the most important step of doing the whole project. So if you've got to, like, the first cut, you're so close there to finishing it. But you can't let the first cut trick you into thinking, oh, it's done. And I think that's what probably a lot of people do. Um, and that's why it's sort of, you can sort of be quite disappointed when it when a project comes out and no one's engaging with it um and i think it, like the best thing is to sh show that cut to a few friends don't show it to all your friends because you need to show later cuts 
to them. And you need to show your later cuts to people who haven't seen the project because you don't want to show the same stuff to the same person because they're going to be bored. Like if the first cut's not very good, they're not going to want to watch it again. You don't really want to bore them. Um, so like, realize that, oh, okay, I need to move on. And maybe have a month's break. Like That was actually when I... I so after the first cut, um, that I decided that, oh, I'm going to have a complete break from this. And actually I had like a solid three months sort of break from it. And I was fortunate wow. to, to do that because it was the university summer and I wanted to go traveling. And that's actually where I went went to India and did the motorbike journey. So like having a break for me was definitely really helpful. Um, but then coming back to it, you do need to be obsessed with it, but you don't want it to just be your whole life. You want to have other things going on at the moment at that time because that will give you a different approach on it. And you'll come back sat at that computer and being like, oh, because I had that conversation, it makes me look at that scene in the documentary in a different way. Because mm. I remember when I was like getting lost in the project, that I'd watched loads of videos on how do you make a documentary. None of those videos really helped because they all came out with like bland things. And actually what I realized is I just need to like go back, like open up that Premiere file and have a watch of it. But then when I'm not working on it, I need to forget about it completely and do something else, like go and see my friends, go running or go and sort of just distance myself. Sort of like, do you have another job? Because that can be a really good way to sort of, definitely with passion documentaries, you have that sort of escapism. And I think definitely with indie passion documentaries, it's often like the direct, you're often producing, directing and editing it. So you don't have that unless you're like in a really fortunate place where you have an editor who's editing it, you've got to distance yourself from it. So when you are editing it, you're coming with fresh eyes. I think your advice about uh, getting to the first cut and that, that being the most important thing is really valuable, actually, because, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just beating yourself up sometimes about not getting as far as you wanted to and you can really lose your... Um, your drive and your motivation for a project can't you and you can yeah. already see the shiny next project that you might be thinking of which i guess um interesting that you took a three-month break and shot another film in the process um so it almost feels like that was the distraction but it was actually a really constructive distraction, uh, which which ultimately helped the tuk tuk documentary yeah i think that's that yeah definitely right you get so vested in the story. You you put so many hours watching that footage and watching that story trying to come together, and you're realizing it's not working, and like that is soul destroying. Um, so then going back to your back to the drawing board and having to do another edit is not the thing that you want to do at that moment in time. So if you have that time to have that break, you can sort of come back in three months, four months time, and with such a new, fresh set of eyes, and really be able to look at it in an interesting way and sort of your brain will subconsciously be editing it in that time you'll be thinking oh why didn't I do that edit there why didn't I put that camp that footage I remember watching at that moment there and sort of like all of that as long as you like you don't need to be consciously thinking about it but when you come back to opening that project file in a few months later you'll be in such a better place to be able to make those decisions and you won't be making irrational decisions. Because I remember I did that as well. I started getting to this, and that was when I knew I had to just close it and not open it. When I was just making these irrational 
decisions on the file. Like I would start sort of cutting half of it out and I'd be like, why am I doing that? There's, there's so much interesting stuff there and I've just cut half of that out. And you're not thinking rationally, you're sort of, you're panicking. And so having that time to have that break and then come back, you can really notice that also like, oh, that's a really nice little nuance that works. Or that's a nice little bit of the story that's really important. And yeah, so I think having that break is the best thing you can do if you're struggling with a project. Cool, good advice. So Will, you're uh, you're 23, is that right? Yeah. And so it's kind of a different kind of question um, for somebody, I guess, who's 23. But how has video changed in your eyes over the, like the last 10 years? Because you will have seen, you know, the the huge emergence of like YouTube be as a as a learning aid and and everything from when you were 13, um, and also all those other platforms that came along. I'm thinking of things of platforms that you know were huge and then maybe aren't so huge now how has video um changed there seem to be so many ways it changes right i remember when everyone was on snapchat and that was sort of the like when in my sixth film snapchat came it came out we were sort of like oh this is like a fun thing sort of like 10 second video and then you had like the snapchat stories and like that was that first time where you started watching people's lives sort of in 10 second bites I think that really changed video in the way that, because before that you had sort of YouTube videos, which had to have a bit of a story, but they were still really short videos. Because I think the YouTube algorithms at that point only really encouraged up to four minutes and any longer it was sort of like, oh, your video won't come up any higher. So seeing these Snapchat stories sort of made video even shorter. And then it seemed to have gone the other way, sort of like, after YouTube sort of started really encouraging sort of longer form videos. So you had 10 minute videos and then you get to the thing where people were making their daily vlogs and that weird time where video, I think video production in a way really fell during that time because not only was it sort of um, all of these people doing their video, their daily vlogs, but sort of companies trying to sort of go on that approach. So that quality sort of dropped for a year, but then it sort of rose again when, because I feel like it's all sort of, my experience seems to be very much of what's happening on YouTube and seeing that like when the sort of the algorithm sort of really started to pick up on things that were like stories. So if you made something that told a story or sort of was a longer form video. So I've got a friend who makes these travel documentaries and they're like an hour long and they all get hundreds of thousands of views. And like the reason is, is because they're long, but they're edited well and they tell a story. So, and YouTube likes it because they can put multiple adverts in. So kind of seeing how advertisement has sort of changed the way like online video works. And then we've kind of gone back to sort of a landscape now where short video is really doing really well. You've got sort of things like TikTok where you've got sort of the TikTok dances, you've got the, and like, if you can do a good skin, like a good sketch in 10 seconds on TikTok, you can probably get it to go viral, which is crazy. And like, there are some people's brains who are just so well tuned to be able to make that content that really pops on TikTok. Um, but at the same time on Instagram, it's sort of, still the 10 second stories like they've got their story function as well um that is just as equally like 
doing sort of that's when because I don't go on Snapchat anymore. Everyone watches their stories on Instagram, right? And that's been going for the last few years. But watching how people are using that and using live things, so you've got like Instagram Live, you've got Facebook Live, um, and YouTube Live, and definitely in the world that we live in now where we're sort of where the half the world seems to be isolating where the whole world seems to be isolating um things like instagram live and facebook live have never been more important to be able to connect with your audience so watching how that's changed and sort of how like on youtube as well like when to release a video like it's gone from releasing a video daily which used to be the best thing to do to get your audience and then suddenly it drops to being oh no just release one video a week that's really high quality to now which is i think a bit of the middle where like you want to be uploading really high quality content but you want to be uploading it like every like so wednesday and saturday and, and that seems to be a way that's working well for a lot of these online channels who are trying to get an audience and keep their users engaged so in your eyes you would you would think that it was a um that twice a week was a good frequency for youtube videos yeah i think that seems to be a good like i think once a week it needs to be really good um if you're trying to build your audience from what i've seen anyway um and then twice a week if your videos are sort of in that mid level um and then it's been really interesting because i've been working with sort of companies like global um who own like capital fm heart and lbc recently and when you make videos for them so to their whole thing is content daily so they want really high quality content daily but they can afford that they can afford to make that sort of they capital will have a green screen studio where they'll get their celebrities in and they'll get multiple bits of content so they can release content every day that's sort of getting millions of views but obviously for that form of production you need to have money already in to be able to invest into such a thing like they'll have an editor who'll work on a video and like their videos will take sort of a few days to be made so they'll have multiple editors working on their videos to get content constantly going up and this kind of brings us on to um your latest project the coronavirus documentary so you talk you talk about um how you know, Instagram live uh, and stories, um, IGTV, etc., has become very, you know, crucial to this to this time that we're all in at the moment, where we're all isolating. Um, how has that? How has that kind of influenced the choice of your new project? And tell us a bit of an overview of how you kind of came about with the idea and where you where you've got to. So basically, first of all, um, I think, say, it was Monday in the UK when it was the first Monday where the Prime Minister did his big talk where he said, you, we need to stop seeing each other and we need to start enforcing social distancing. Um, and this was the week before the lockdown got enforced. And I thought, well, this week that we're about to face is we're going to see so much change happen that it's really important that, that it's captured so i um set up like a website an instagram account and sort of started just messaging my friends and being like record your stories record your thoughts and record what's happening got videos from friends who are having to finish their trips early like they might be not backpacking and 
they on the other side of the world and then suddenly they had to cut their trip short so i had a video from this like well i had quite a few videos from people being like oh i'm unemployed now um and that was in that first week where sort of that uncertainty came and then we had sort of on the on the friday that talk from um the chancellor who said oh we're going to have all this support in place and that suddenly saw these people who were had been made unemployed getting put on furlough schemes. So they were made, they felt so much better. And they all sent in videos being like, oh, it's, I feel so much more positive about what's happening and stuff. So just in that one week, there was such a roller coaster. How are they facing this virus? And like, how is it affecting them? What is life like in isolation? Sort of. And I think there'll be a lot of, um, I was actually, I was in a Zoom call the other day with um the the channel four commissioner who was like talking about like commissions at the moment and they were saying they've got loads of like user generated content documentaries being made so it'll be interesting to see how i can make it different to one of those docs that have been made by one of the sort of big tv broadcasters because i think there's sort of that chance to do something that's really sort of close um and sort of independent and different to sort of i think a lot of the channels like say channel four they're going to do like a documentary which will just focus on um video that's filmed on um on phones of people who work in the emergency services like i think that's a doc they're doing which is a really cool idea but i think for this one it's kind of like just looking at everyone and just asking anyone like send in your video send in your approach of what's happening and let's see what where it goes and so the people have regularly been sending in stuff so it's been really cool and how's your how's the response been so far because we're only what are we like a week and a half into the lockdown is that right maybe yeah a week and a half just over um so i would imagine that you know it's although these kind of these days seem to be blending into one there's a lot of time on people's hands Certain people have got to work. Certain people have got kids to school. Certain people have got more time to do stuff. Um, how have you found kind of the pattern and how how far have you reached out to people? See, it's been very much sort of, well, like there's sort of been that just a general call out for people to send in stuff. It's been sort of having conversations with people who Either like I had a someone from Canada who messaged me and said, oh, I really want to send in what's happening here. And I said, that's fantastic because it's sort of showing how it's affecting the whole sort of world in different ways and actually how similar it is. Like, I think we feel that it's so alien, right? Everyone feels it is, it's so alien to all of us. But at the same time, we're all doing it together across the whole world. Um, so in that approach, it's been very interesting. It has definitely... I've been getting more videos from people who've sort of been staying at home, haven't been working because they've got more time on their hands. But that's sort of a really interesting part of it. And I'm keen to sort of just carry on encouraging people to send in their video clips because I don't know where this project will end up or where it will go. And But I think it's something that will be really special. Um, have you spoken to anyone in Italy or have you had any content or contact with anyone in Italy. So, but there was like a viral video that went around that was filmed in Italy where they sent a message to people in the UK. 
Did you see that? Have you seen that video? I don't think I've seen that yet. Really powerful video. So um, it was we it, Italy was um, sent a video to the UK ten days. So it's like a message for the UK in ten days' time. And basically, the point was that we're where you were on the curve ten days ago, um, and it's sort of saying sort of the importance of staying together and importance and the video went like popped and went viral and stuff so i had like a chat with um that filmmaker who made it because i was just like interested in what his approach was and i think we we might sort of work together on making something out of this um it's sort of obviously it's early days but it's kind of like developing something that can be documented and sort of i think it's really important it's documented like for future generations um to see how this how we're coping with it but not just making sort of popular like entertaining videos sort of video that's very sort of upfront showing how we've been living our lives in isolation and how we're coping with it or not coping with it um is there anything that people can do to send because you're working on this from now until whenever aren't you i mean yeah. i'm assuming that this there's no end date in a way so is there some um is there a way that they that people if they're interested could send in uh content if you feel that you want to just talk to the camera and say how you feel rashly about everything then do it and send it in it's sort of like i think quite a few people have found it quite therapeutic just having that moment to talk to the camera and tell them the, their mobile phone how they feel about it all um and it's feel felt very honorable to be able to be in that position where you've been receiving these stories receiving these thoughts and stuff so yeah no so coronavirus through our eyes.com okay well the link will be in the show notes when the show notes come up um well that's that, that's brilliant um i'm assuming you didn't get a commission from channel four on this i didn't no i was a bit too late to that that idea should have probably should have gone straight away to them but i think they've got quite a few from the from the sounds of it they've got quite a few things commissioned um that are like this so yeah about making something that's going to be different and really eye-poppingly it's 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 slightly ironic because i think by the end of this nobody's going to want to watch another screen or or any social content yeah they're they're going to want real life they're going to want each other they're going to want to go out and gig to gigs they're going to want to hug each other to drink in pubs to go to sport and to do all the things that humans can do together rather than and this is no you know i'm not saying that they're not going to watch your film but so we'll see, I guess. I mean, we'll see how long this lockdown lasts. I, I, we're expecting it to be about three months, I think, aren't we? So, you know, that takes us yeah. to July, maybe? Uh, yeah. Um, it's going to be a very interesting time. I mean, are, are you documenting your own thoughts as you go? I uh, I uh, actually like the last week I've been also working on just a little project that I wanted to make. I wanted to make a YouTube video about why I've, I started writing a diary um so i started um i made a little i made a little video about the importance of writing a diary in times like this um i just need to finish sort of the last bits of stop motion animation but i spoke to a really interesting um writer making this video so i sort of filmed lots of different aspects of it um 
And I spoke to this writer called Claire Tomlin. I don't know if you know her, but she sort of, she was written quite a few sort of bit bibliobiographies and stuff. And she wrote a biography about Samuel Pepys, um, the guy who wrote his diary during the Great Plague. Mm. Um, so I was having a, like a chat with her sort of about the importance of writing diaries during times like this. Because um, I just think that that, and so that's sort of so important because like, it'll be in sort of 40 years, 50 years time when we'll be looking back at what we lived through, right? And we'll be be wondering, oh, how did we live that day? Um, what was it like in that first week where everything went strange? And like, how did we start adjusting to sort of living life in isolation? Like, what did we get up to? So yeah, I've I've recently just sort of been finishing that video, which I'm really glad, I'm really excited to get out because it's sort of, it's been nice to make a sort of, a little, it's only like four minutes long, but it's just a sweet little video that sort of sums up like what Samuel Pepys got up to. And then I even mm. spoke to my great aunt who kept a diary during World War II. Um, and I just wanted to know, like, how has she found having that diary after World War II? Like, how is that? Like, mm. did she think it was important? So I, it's sort of a nice little video about like the importance of writing a diary. And it feels important to make for me. If, even if it's like, and that seems to be the most important thing. So to have Amazing. a memory for yourself, right? Yeah. And are you, do you keeping that to yourself? Is it just a, it's kind of like a document to yourself or are you, are you putting that somewhere? I might post it. It's kind of a document to myself, but mm. like, yeah, I think I'll see. Cool. Have you, it just in a, in a nutshell, would you say there's a formula for a successful documentary? For on coronavirus, or on coronavirus, or or generally documentary. I think the successful form, the best documentaries, are the ones that don't have a formula. Okay, well, um, so we've got now we've got it's as it's called video talks. We have a scrub forward round. So if you don't want to answer any of the questions, you just say scrub, and we'll okay. move on to the next one. So this is, and it's kind of like a quick fire round. So answers as briefly as possible. Video nasty, right? What's the worst habit you see people practice in filmmaking? Bad audio. Bad audio. That's very true. That can make or break a film. Also, also appalling acting, right? Yeah. If, we, if you're talking fiction. Uh, okay. So VR or AR or mixed reality i like i like vr i think there's so much to play with in vr i'm kind of annoyed that um i don't have like 100 vr headsets i could start selling at the moment because i think there's such a market in vr like with everyone stuck at their homes but if you could start selling vr you could you could be a millionaire at the moment i'm sure <laughs> i don't think the only thing is with the isolation setup um i don't think that you know, key workers in, uh, includes VR <laughs> setup specialists. You know, for el for the elderly. So, um, unfortunately, uh, I think that's that's not really an industry I'm going to get into. But I, I do believe that VR is probably finally going to have its day in the sun because yeah. um, it's it is really a way to escape for obviously people who are you know stuck at home they literally don't have any family they may not have video uh, software they may not have a device to 
talk to people. I think it's a huge problem and it's going to be made massively apparent, I think, during this crisis. So, yeah, so VR, I, do, I don't think there's going to be loads of grandparents with VR sets. Um, but for the future, I think this will be a bit of a wake-up call because this is changing society with holidays, uh, people choosing to do staycations and possibly not even being allowed into certain countries for probably a year. I don't know. And they, and for those people, you know, like a virtual holiday could be just what they need. So um, I think you're you're spot on with VR. It's the first time I would ever say VR right now, but it's always been AR or mixed reality for me. But um, only because VR has never really, for me, it's never really hit the mark. Okay, what techniques and software? Um, Premiere and techniques. I love not using tripods. Stop, pause, play. One thing you always do, one thing you sometimes do, one thing you should never do. I think you should always take your time before definitely committing to something. Um, like, Don't rush into anything straight away. Uh, sometimes I think you should um, go out and do something and worry about apologising later. Um, and one thing you should never do is, um, it's going to be audio again, is forget about audio on a shoot. Brilliant. Great answers. And uh, give us one secret filmmaking tip. Oh, I love to not, if I'm, so if, if you're making a documentary and you want to get like the real honest reaction from someone, um, then don't let them know anything about that question. They might want to see a few questions that like you've maybe you've managed to get like that ideal interview with someone and they've asked for you to send in those questions and you've got one interview question that you don't want them to know because you want to see their full, honest like answer to it. Um, and I think that that is such a good thing to do is sort of to keep sort of information away from someone. And don't feel like you need to give it. Like just because someone's saying, oh, what are you going to ask me? I need to know, I need to know. But you can say, well, actually, it's sometimes best for you not to know everything I'm going to ask you and just explain it. Like, it's not hiding info, but it can mean that you can get that really honest response because that's that first time that they're thinking about the question on camera and you get like that lovely sort of emotional response. And I think that's a really good tip. So what's next for video in a post-coronavirus world? So obviously this is probably never going to be a post-coronavirus world, just probably will mean that we've got a vaccine for it at some stage in certain parts of the world um i think after the pandemic i think video is going to become even more important because i think companies are going to be preparing for if there's another pandemic in the future and i think what's really shown in the last few weeks is how important video is and how like when we can't see faces of other people having video of other people is really important so i think video is only going to come it's going to become more necessary as like companies are concerned that we might have another pandemic in the future. Hopefully we don't, but yeah. On a, on a slightly more positive note, what's, what's, what's your vision for, you know, the rest of your, the, the rest of your career and, you know, your next steps. Cause you're, you're a bit of a, an adventure freak, aren't you? So, you know, with the motorcycling yeah. and the tuk tuk, you know, I feel like once you're allowed out, you're going to go as far away as possible, possibly. Yeah. What's, ne what's next after this documentary? 
Absolutely. Um, as soon as this social distancing has stopped and we're allowed to go across the world, you can bet it I'm going to book a flight somewhere. Um, me and my friend Callum, who I made the Tuck Tuck project with, have been talking about buying paramotors, actually. And we're thinking of flying paramotors across the sub-Sahara desert in Africa, which would be incredible to do. And sort of, um, I think like we'd have a real reason to do it after this whole sort of lockdown because we just want to break free from yeah what's sort of being locked in your house for three months so that's something that's really in the project in sort of in the works is sort of an adventure documentary that involves paramotoring across the sub-saharan desert in africa but you can only do the paramotoring in the morning because uh, it's too hot in the middle of the day and your paramotor can like spiral out of control at that time. But it will be a really cool and really interesting project. So that's kind of something that's in the works and I'm really excited to do. Yeah, so a little bit like Icarus flying too close to the sun. You just see like a, a wings of flame spiraling out of the that's sky. That's good, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I did want to say, though, there's, there's, there is definitely an element of isolation flying paramotors across the sahara desert isn't there it's yeah it's not it's not the most populated place That's so right. yeah you know maybe you're um you're just taking you're just getting out of isolation slowly <laughs> yeah no it's just a transition and you say that you're you're booking flights uh i would probably book them now yeah but probably. choose an airline that might still b- exist after this that's such a good point yeah Good alternative flight uh, method of flight if you can't get a booking on an airline, right? Yeah, paramotors. Absolutely, yeah. Why so, not? I mean, who needs who needs airports? Thanks, Will, for joining me today. That was that was brilliant. Um, where will where can people connect with you? And you know, have you got anything to kind of push their way? Um, check out like. I am like posting stuff. I'm hoping to post a few more videos in the next few months, like on my YouTube channel. Um, so check that out, which is, you can just type in um, Will Shears uh, and it should pop up. Uh, well, yeah, if you type in Will Shears into Google, um, my website will pop up. So like that's sort of a good place. Um, and like if you're interested in like collaborating, if you're interested in, sending in a video um, of how you're dealing with the virus that'd be amazing um, get in contact with me i've got instagram which is yeah william shears and um youtube so, so those are sort of the two places that i post myself so yeah thank you so much for this andy um it's really interesting to talk talk it all talk everything th- through in such an interesting time that's happening yeah no real well it's been a pleasure um having you on the other end there um, and yeah, well, we'll, we will all watch your career with great interest. Uh, and obviously at the end of the summer or whenever this blows over, um, let, uh, we'd be great to chat to you again for an update on how the coronavirus documentary is going. Completely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much to Will for that interview. Really insightful and great to get his perspective on what the world is experiencing at the moment. You can find the links to his YouTube and uh, one of the films that resulted from the coronavirus brief, um, which is called 
A World Without Tourism, which is on his YouTube. And he's since told me that he's managed to sell that to a an online channel, which is brilliant. Um, there's also his lockdown diary on there, which you can take a look at. Um, so those will be on the videotalks.co show notes page, um, along with other episode links and all the all the other info and links out to things that were mentioned in the episode. So take a look at that. In the meantime, thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next video talks. Cheers. Cheers.